You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Um, (laughs) I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to, surprisingly, Psalm 98. Psalm 98. And as you're finding that, we may have a slide that comes up that tells you the page number for the Pew Bible. There it is, 411. Uh, And if again, for those of you who may be visitors or guests, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours. If you need one, take it. It's our gift to you for you or maybe for someone in your family or in your circle of friends that may need one. If you're techie, there's the instructions for the YouVersion Bible app. And if you haven't been with us this Advent season, we've been going through uh, these few weeks, edging ever closer to December 25th by meditating upon some famous carols of the season in light of the scriptures that inspired them and in hopes of them helping us to better appreciate what we're celebrating at Christmas time. And so I want to read to you this scripture that inspired the carol that we're focused on this morning, Psalm 98. It reads, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord the king. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now today, we're focused on a song that is not only is it common in the weeks surrounding Christmas to hear it sung in church, you'll hear it played on the radio, and the title alone of this carol is plastered on holiday t-shirts, sweaters, wrapping paper, ribbons, candy, and cards. This song, in fact, is so popular, it's a staple on the Christmas album of many secular artists. And you might be asking, well, what is it? How many of you know what song is it? Joy to the World. And undeniably, I think, undeniably, it is difficult to find better words that sum up the rousing celebration of Christ's incarnation than joy to the world. And yet, ironically, despite by some counts this song being the most published Christmas song in North America, and as wonderful and as fitting as the words are, ironically, joy to the world was not originally written as an observance on Christmas. That's right. One of our beloved Christmas carols is in fact not a Christmas carol at all. You've been duped. (laughs) Though we treat it this way, joy to the world has little explicitly to do with the event that transpired long ago in Bethlehem. 
Now, the song is so familiar to us and its words are so well known, you probably never even noticed it does not include a single detail from the story of Jesus' birth. If you play the song, if you remember it in your head right now, don't start singing it out loud. But if you start in your head playing it, you realize there's not a single detail about Jesus' birth in that song. None of the typical Christmas imagery is present. There's no stable, no shepherds, no wise men, no Mary, no Joseph, no little town of Bethlehem, no choirs of angels or silent nights. Oh my gosh, what has happened? It's a bit of a mystery, actually. It's a bit of a mystery how joy to the world became associated with Christmas. But what we do know, however, is the author of this treasured hymn is one Isaac Watts. Now, Isaac Watts was the son of a deacon in the Congregational Church of England in the early 18th century. And being raised in a family deeply rooted in the Christian faith, you're going to love this, Watts found the music being sung in worship services to be monotonous, not particularly spiritually uplifting, and frankly irrelevant to his generation. Huh, I've never heard that before. Watts, in fact, complained about this to his father, who then challenged his son to give the people something better to sing. And so Watts did. In his lifetime, Watts authored over 750 new hymns. Bang, man, that's an incredible number. Some of his greatest hits that you may know, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and joy to the world, of course. He is considered the father of English hymns, and the legacy of his efforts lives on today as his work continues to be printed in books, projected on screens, and sung by followers of Jesus worldwide. I, I took this out, but I gotta put this in. It would interest you to know that when Isaac Watts began to write these hymns, the people of his day found them to be too loud, too repetitive, and not as good as the old songs. I've never heard that before either. Joy to the World first appeared in 1719, actually. It was part of a hymn book based upon the Psalms for congregational singing. These hymns were poems, it's really interesting, these hymns were poems, actually, that could be set to any fitting music familiar to congregations at the direction of choir music directors. So they didn't come with the melody. The melody could be inserted by the music director of a particular church. Joy to the World originally was part of the second part of a two-part hymn based, again, not on the Christmas narrative of Luke 2, but of Psalm 98. Most scholars believe but we're not sure about this, that joy to the world became indelibly associated with Christmas 120 years later when the particular melody we know and love was added to these lyrics by the Boston composer Lowell Mason. Now, Lowell Mason, I could tell you a lot about him, but I'll keep it brief. Lowell Mason loved George Handel's Messiah. And Mason did what we would call today, it's actually kind of interesting to think about this, he did what we would call today sampling as he took fragments of the melody notes from the Christmas portion of the Messiah to make up the tune for Joy to the World that we now sing in North America. Thus was created the earliest New England Christmas carol that is still popular today. Now, I know I made a big deal about it, maybe a little bit overly theatrical, but even though Joy to the World was not originally written as a Christmas song, we're looking at it today because it has much to offer us 
especially in light of where we find ourselves right now in terms of the Advent season. As of today, if you didn't know it, brace yourselves, there are less than 10 days until Christmas. How many of us are ready? How many of us are ready? Raise your hands if you're ready. Okay, let me clarify. I don't mean ready for Christmas. I mean ready for Christ. Hmm. We've spent so much time getting prepared for Christmas, right? Or perhaps we've had so little time to get ready for Christmas that we've resigned ourselves to squeezing all of our preparations into the next few days. But have we prepared for Jesus? For Christ to come once more, anew, into our lives and into our world. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how we can be so fixated on the observance of the day of Christmas and yet overlook beyond maybe a passing thought or a worship service on Christmas Eve. We can overlook the one who makes our celebration of Christmas even possible. Joy to the World presents us with a needed reminder as to what Christmas is really about. Because this song unflinchingly directs us, not only to who Christmas is about, but this song unflinchingly directs us to what our response and our responsibilities ought to be in light of the coming Messiah. Now, you know this song, you know how it begins, and it's interesting because this hymn opens with a benediction, a word of blessing, joy to the world. Now, Pastor John, a couple of uh, now months now back, preached an incredible sermon on the, the understanding of the word for joy. I'm not going to be able to do that justice, but I'm going to give you a, a brief summary in case you weren't here or don't remember. Biblically, joy is a disposition of delight of the heart and of the mind. More than just a feeling, joy encompasses the whole person. The key thing to remember biblically, though, is joy comes not from our circumstances, but joy comes from God's love and promises. Joy, therefore, this is important, you hold on to this, joy, therefore, is a choice. It's an attitude we adopt out of our trust in the Lord's faithfulness. That God is present and working in our lives. That God can and will redeem and restore this world. In other words, we don't have joy because everything is great all the time. We have joy because God is with us and for us. And that's what this song declares. The title, the opening line, the benediction that kicks off this song declares joy. Why? Because, if you remember the next part, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. The opening line of this song is sometimes sung incorrectly. As joy to the world, the Lord has come. But that is not what Isaac Watts wrote. He wrote, the Lord is come. Rather than using the past tense, has come. Watts uses the present tense, the active verb, is come, to reflect that Christ's coming is more than just an event of the past. That God's presence with and for us is an ever-present and ongoing engagement. Salvation, in other words, is not just about what the Lord has done for us but also what the Lord continues to do as God reclaims, as God heals, as God remakes the whole of creation. 
Watts, in the spirit of Psalm 98, declares joy because as he traces in that song the redemption story throughout history, from the initial promise in the garden to the final revelation of a heavenly city, he in fact sees and therefore wants us to recognize God's salvation in three movements. And remember, I talked about part of the church's creation of the Advent season, the observance of this time leading up to Christmas, is to be reminded that we observe three comings of Christ. And Watts captures this in this song, salvation of God in three movements. First, God in Christ comes first in the past, both to reveal who we can be and whose we are. God comes first in the past to bear all of our burdens, born of our sin, our rejection and our rebellion against the Lord on the cross and conquering our greatest fear, the ultimate penalty for our sin, death through his resurrection. That's Christ's first coming. But God in Christ comes again through the Holy Spirit in the present, filling us, inspiring us, guiding us, and empowering us to be, to be set free from the pollution, the power, and ultimately the presence of sin, and gradually changing us into our fullest and best selves. Christ comes a third time. He will. God and Christ will return in person in the future to judge and settle accounts, to right every wrong, to usher in a new chapter in human history, making all things new, as Watts so eloquently puts it, as far as the curse is found. And this joy, don't lose it in the title, this joy is not just for you or for me, but joy to all the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for all people, for all creation. And again, mirroring Psalm 98, joy to the world not only declares what Christmas, who Christmas is all about, but joy to the world mirroring Psalm 98 instructs us as to our twofold response to this salvation of God in Christ. And the very first thing that this song tells us is we are to receive the gift of Jesus. Watts reminds us not to lose sight of exactly who we are receiving. What's brilliant about this song and why I think it needs to stay at Christmas time is most Christmas carols, there's nothing wrong with this, most Christmas carols focus on the birth of Christ as a little baby. In contrast, joy to the world focuses on Jesus as our king. The one who was given birth through Mary is the same one who fearfully and wonderfully knits together every human life in the womb. The one who offers his life for all the world is the same one in whom everything lives and moves and has its being. The one who comes to us in Christ is more than our Messiah, our Savior. This is Christ, our Lord, and our King. How do we receive our King? Listen to the song. It echoes the scriptures, Psalm 98. We receive our king, Watts writes, by receiving him, by preparing room in our hearts for Christ. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Across many cultures, the human heart is representative of the whole person. The brokenness of the human heart typifies the fragmented nature of our lives, our communities, our world. Apart from our creator, whether we seek to devote ourselves to and worship other people or other things as God, or whether we live in denial that there even is a higher power and thus try to proclaim ourselves as God, the God of our lives, 
apart from our creator, something is missing. We lack, we know it, we sense it, we feel it in our bones. We lack the fullness, the wholeness, the completeness, the eternal life for which we were made that can only be found in relationship with the one who created us. And so God comes to us and offers all of himself in Christ. But the Lord does not force himself upon us. We must receive the gift of Jesus. We must prepare our hearts. Let every heart prepare him room. We must receive the gift of Jesus. And receiving Christ isn't just a passive, yeah, thanks, Uh, just put that over there with the rest of the gifts under the tree, Jesus. Thank you. Receiving Christ isn't about taking a gift that we unwrap later or never even bother to open The gift of Christ is one for which we have to prepare and make room today. And the image that joy to the world presents in that simple verse is a particularly lovely lovely one. Let every heart prepare him room. When a young couple is expecting their first child, I think of Drew and Megan who have had their child has come. Emerson is with them. But when they were preparing for Emerson to come into this world, what does a young couple do to prepare for the baby? A special room is set aside in their house. When a family is expecting a guest to come into their home, what do they do? They prepare a room for them. And so Watts taps into something we all innately know that, and reflects it upon the gift of Christ, that each human being is to prepare a room in their heart to welcome their Lord and their King. Now I can say that, and that simple verse captures it, but To prepare a room in our hearts means intentionally carving out space in our busy, overcrowded lives. It means carving out physical space, room enough to let God's word pour over us, room enough to be able to listen and hear the voice of the Spirit speak to us. Do you have that kind of room in your life? Carving out space in our busy, crowded lives in order to make room for Christ means mental and emotional space. Room enough to be still and know and recognize the presence of the Lord in the midst of our various situations and relationships. Room enough to rest and abide in the reality and the comfort that we are not the center of the universe That the whole world, thank God, doesn't hang upon what we do or don't do. But the world is as we are in the hands of the Lord. God is in control. Intentionally carving out space, making room in our hearts, in our busy, overcrowded lives means spiritual space. Room enough not just to get fed, as if worshiping the Lord were like grabbing fast food. And sometimes that's how we treat this. You know, I got stuff going on. I'll drop in at 10.30. Here's my order. I'd like some good music, some prayer, a sermon that's not too long, and communion, and then I'm out of here. I mean, we treat it like we're going through the drive-thru. But preparing our hearts for Christ means opening up spiritual space in our lives, not just room to be spiritually fed in a worship service, but room enough to count our blessings, to offer praises of thanksgiving every day, 
room enough to share generously out of the Lord's provision to reach out and serve those who are in need, those who are hurting. Beloved, are we opening up these kinds of spaces in our lives? I mean, it's all well and good, and I'm a fan. It's all well and good to watch out for Santa Claus who's coming to town. But are we looking for the God who comes down in Christ, who continues to come down to us through his spirit? Are we expectant for the return of our once and future king at the end of time? By now, I would imagine all of us have taken the time and made room to put up our Christmas tree and lights. But have we cleared out some space to let the word of the Lord take root, to allow the word made flesh to illuminate what is going on in and around us? We're mindful, aren't we? That's a good thing. We're mindful, aren't we? Aren't we? That we don't want to, we want, don't want to forget. We want to ensure that all the gifts, all the cards get mailed out, that all the presents are wrapped, that all the stockings are hung by the chimney with care. But are we as mindful to prepare ourselves to receive our king, to give him the glory he deserves? During this holiday season, so many of us get caught up in all those other things, right? The things I just alluded to, Santa and all the holiday blitz. And we do so at the cost of making any time or preparing any room for Jesus And part of why many of us do this is because we're trying or we're convinced we can create our own joy. For some of us right now, life is hard. So hard. Walking through loss or sickness or sorrow, feeling so lonely or afraid, we believe the only joy we can have is the joy we can muster. And so we shop, we decorate, we dress up our lives to try and ease the pain or cover up the sadness. For others, you know who you are. Your suffering seems beyond finding any joy at all. Where is their joy? Where is their joy when nothing seems to go right? When life just feels so empty? dark if you're asking these questions this season I'm right there with you I'm right there with you but I want to remind us of something I mentioned earlier joy isn't something we make or create ourselves it cannot be concocted or contrived joy can only be given As the gift of God. And the greatest gift of joy is the incarnation that God comes down to us in the manger of our lives through Jesus Christ. The child born of Mary, the son who willingly lays down his life, Jesus, comes to us not as he needs to be approached, but how we do, how we live, how we die how we hope, how we believe. We can have joy because in Christ, God reaches us in all the questions and the doubts that grip us. 
We can have joy because in Christ, God meets us in all the pain and suffering we carry. We can have joy in Christ because God becomes us what we need to see and behold and carries us from life to death and back again into eternity. That joy, the presence of the living God, the risen Christ, the Holy Spirit is with us even when it's hard, especially when it hurts. This joy remains. Nothing can separate us from this joy. But hear this, joy is a choice. Joy must be received just like love Every day we have to wake up and decide to choose joy by preparing and receiving the gift of Christ, acknowledging, engaging, and relying on his presence before us. Yes, 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 sins and sorrows still grow. Thorns still infest the ground, but the curse of sin has been broken. The darkness is in retreat The results, the aftershocks of sin are still with us for now. Joy is a choice, an attitude we adopt out of our trust in the Lord's faithfulness that Jesus is present and working in our lives that Christ has, that Christ is, and that Christ will redeem and restore this world. I look out at you every week. And today I'm looking at some of your faces. And sometimes looking at some of your faces is what keeps me going when I'm preaching. And sometimes looking into your faces is what makes me want to stop. I didn't necessarily mean that to be funny. I look into some of your eyes this morning. And I I see it. I see it. You're right there. You're right on the precipice. You're right on the cusp. And I'm looking at you and I'm asking you, will you settle for despair? Will you settle for despair? Will you try and try and try again unsuccessfully to make your own happiness? Or will you choose joy? Will you choose to prepare to make room in your busy, overcrowded life? Will you dare to say no in order to say yes? Will you prepare and make room to receive Christ? Psalm 98 and this carol indicate how we can know if we've chosen joy. It's not subtle at all. If we choose joy... First, we respond by receiving Christ, but we can know that we've received Christ because we share Christ with others. How? By singing. (laughs) By repeating the sounding joy. Remember that part of the song? Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. And that's just one part. It's not subtle. It's all over the place in the song and in the psalm. This is what the chorus declares. It echoes Psalms 98 repeated command to proclaim God's great deeds to all the earth by lifting up our voices in song. Here's the thing. Just as the Lord has openly displayed his salvation, held nothing back, openly displayed his righteousness and his reign in the sight of all nations, 
So also, we, all people and nations who receive this joy, must open ourselves up and acknowledge the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. You know, I want to comment on something briefly, um, and I'm not talking to anyone specifically. It, it crosses the generations, but the, and it's actually being commented on. There's a decline in congregational singing in church. And people, oh, I don't like the music, I don't know the songs, whatever. But the reality is people are not singing anymore in church. On some cases, like I said, it's because they don't like the song, they don't know how to sing it, they don't think they have a good voice. In other cases, there's a generations that are being raised where it's just about performance. Other people sing, and we, by extension, why we're participating by watching them sing. That is not how the people of God do it. We sing. We proclaim our joy. And if you say to me, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not really an expressive person. You know, I, I don't really, I don't do that. You know, I don't have a really good voice. I want to follow you to the next concert you go to. And when you're enjoying it, seeing you going, yes, very good, very good, yes, thank you. Mm. Mm. Wow. wow, great. I want to accompany you to your next kid or grandchild's game or the sports team you follow, and when they score or do something great, see so you go, woohoo, yeah, awesome. If I followed you, you who don't have a voice, you who aren't very expressive, you who just don't do that sort of thing, are joyful. Why can't we be joyful here? Why can't we be joyful about the greatest gift we have ever received? We have no excuse. Psalm 98 does, gives us no, no wiggle room. Joy to the world says no. Joy to the world, in fact, it's incredible. Do you notice this? Watts doesn't address us. He says, let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. Watts addresses all creation because he acknowledges something that Jesus says on Palm Sunday. You remember that? When the, when the, the Pharisees tries to shut everybody up when they're proclaiming their joy. He says, even if you pipe them down, the rocks themselves will cry out. Watts acknowledges a biblical truth that all creation, when you look around and you see the wonder of creation, when you marvel at a sunset or a sunrise or a mountainous view or countless other ways, Watts is tapping into something that the psalm recognizes is that even if we remain silent as the people of God, creation proclaims the wonders of our God. Heaven and nature will sing for joy. And what Psalm 98 says and what joy to the world echoes is if we profess to embrace this gift, if we say we follow Jesus, then we are invited to follow creation's lead. Sing. We are, as the second chorus expresses it, to repeat the sounding joy. And what's brilliant about this song, and I'm a little out of my depth, so if I screw this up, you can talk to me afterwards. But Watts doesn't just tell us to repeat the sounding joy in the way he creatively lays out this song, Watts actually gets us to do it. Notice the words of the chorus, and I did that for you before. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Every chorus is like that. The words of the chorus repeat several times. This is a compositional device, I understand, that is known as a fuguing tune. Where at first, and you may have heard it, Joy to the World perform this way, all the voices sing the words together, but then after a few measures, voice parts enter one after another in succession, repeating the same words. Can you picture that in your mind, what that effect is like? 
Singing in this way fosters a layered, rolling, resounding effect. And so what's amazing in both the words themselves and in how we sing this hymn, the message is clear. If you've got any joy in Jesus, you sing it. You share it out loud expressively before and with others. And this isn't just a novelty of watch, people. This is the Christian response to the Christmas story given to us in the Gospels. Good tidings of great joy are given to a group of shepherds who follow the instructions at first to receive Christ. But then, we are told, share the news that they have experienced. They share the joy of who they have encountered with their neighbors in Bethlehem. Those who were first there when Christ was born repeat the sounding joy. Jesus, when he grows up, tells us to do the same. After his resurrection and before he ascended into heaven, Jesus acknowledges that he is king of kings as he declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then out of this authority, Jesus as king commissions us as his disciples to go and represent him, to share everything he said, everything he's done with all the nations. In other words, we as followers of Jesus, are the repeating of the sounding joy. We are the repeating of the sounding joy. Our songs, our prayers, our very life becomes the repetition of the sounding joy heard in the fields of Bethlehem, treasured in the heart of Mary, leading to the victory of the cross and revealed through the empty tomb. To repeat the sounding joy is to follow and echo the voice of God's spirit by sharing and extending mercy, compassion, love, forgiveness, and grace to others, and in so doing, singing, singing the love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and compassion of God, not just to make converts, those who believe in Jesus, but to make disciples, those who go and do likewise, who sing as they follow Jesus. To repeat the sounding joy is to engage in Christ's restoration work project by countering the sins and sorrows that grow, the thorns that infest the ground, and spreading the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Beloved, we are not to be indifferent spectators of what is unfolding in our communities and nations. In the face of violence and hate, before the realities of of injustice and wrongful discrimination, we are to be shapers of our culture and builders of our communities and nations. In our world, privately and publicly, for cultures and nations, we are to stand against personal and institutional evil. We are to be stewards of the earth that protect and nurture all creation. This is how we repeat the sounding joy. With our voices, with our hands, with our feet, with our words as well as our actions. This is, as Watts describes it, how the nations prove the glories of God's righteousness and the wonders of his love. Are you ready to sing? Because in just a few moments... It's going to be special music, and special music tends to be one of those times where we listen because they've worked really hard on that. And God help me, if I don't hear you sing when they start playing. (laughs) 
You're all getting coal in your stocking. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I kid. Joy to the world. Hmm. Joy to the world has become, <laughs> despite its beginning, a carol of the Christmas season. And it is that. But I hope you've learned this morning it is so much more. A celebration of God's faithfulness realized in Christ's first coming. A rallying cry to recognize the Lord's continued presence with us today. And ultimately anticipating the cosmic doxology that will occur when Jesus comes again once and for all. This is a hymn that both declares and brings joy. So let us prepare and make room to receive this joy we have in Christ. Joy that is stronger than any defiant fist of death. Stronger than any sickness, sorrow, any evil or trial that comes against us. Let us together repeat the sounding joy boldly and graciously. Not just at Christmas time, but every